We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Battle ready. I tell you what, I feel like that this morning. I feel like I've got my boxing gloves on ready to go. It started at about 6.30 this morning when I get a message from Anna. I've been up all night. I'm sick as a dog. I can't leave the top part of the service. No worries. Text Ursula. I'm sick as a dog. I can't come. I'm sorry. Okay, next, I've just gone through the list and with me and Neil. So my apologies if it feels like I've been up a little bit, but it's only because they're all sick and uh, we're battle ready for this new series. And then our, our uh, computer goes out. It's like, stick them up, enemy. I'm ready for you today. So let me pray. God, we do invite you to be present. We know you already are, but our hearts are wide open to whatever you've got to say to us this morning. Lead us, speak to us, guide us, transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Are we good to go up the back, Phil, with the first screen? Can you see the image? How far away are we from an image? Next one, next one, there it is. We are good to go. The lens through which you see that image determines what you see. What do you see? The original designer of the charging bull created that bull in a season of America's economic history where they were struggling. Wall Street went to the dogs. America was hitting a recession. And so he designed that bull to personify the American spirit, tenacity, strength, perseverance. When you put a little girl, a defiant young woman there with her hands on her hips in front of it, the lens changes. It's no longer about America's strength and perseverance in hard times. It's now a young woman standing defiant in front of inequality a lack of opportunity. Change the lens, changes your perspective of what you see. In Ephesians, Paul spends a good amount of his time talking about healthy relationships. Slaves, masters, parents and children, husbands and wives, church communities, and they're all impacted by the lens with which we view the world. Sometimes those relationships experience turbulence, Rough waters, challenging seasons, difficult encounters, hurtful conversations, stretching experiences that can make or break a relationship. And the lens that we view those situations, circumstances, events and seasons determines where from there. I sat with a man the other day who has been homeless because his son kicked him out of his home because of a misunderstanding. Months he slept in his car, a retired man. Eight months later, they still haven't spoken and he's still looking for somewhere to call home. 
The lens through which those two people view each other determines the outcome of the relationship. I recall two work colleagues that I worked with who were at odds with each other much of the time. I could rarely, they could rarely get on, let alone even agree to disagree. The lens through which they viewed each other determined where to from there. I remember two neighbours who lived by each other for years. One did something the other one was offended by over the fence and suddenly it was game on. The lens through which they viewed each other determined where to from there. And often I think when it comes to navigating relationships, we see through the lens that says, it's that person. It's their problem. If we can just fix them, the problem will go away. If that person just sees how wrong they are, inconsiderate and unkind, selfish, narrow-minded, pig-headed, proud they are, then we might be able to get somewhere. And that's a lens that's just all too easily applied to relationships. But let me give you another lens, a lens that Paul applies to his relationships. And this passage in Ephesians just comes out of him having in the context of talking about relationships. Paul says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What if when coming to navigating those difficult seasons in relationships, we saw through that lens? What if we paused and considered that there's a battle raging behind the scenes in the spiritual realm that was affecting the physical realm? that what we're feeling and experiencing and thinking in the physical has a direct correlation with the battle raging in the spiritual. Could that lens make a difference, a difference with the outcome of the turbulent waters we experience in relationships? Let me give you an example of a story in scripture where it did. Some background first. The church in Corinth had some people come in as false prophets and they were undermining Paul's leadership, trying to get people to follow them in the church instead of Paul. Now, Paul sent them a pretty stern letter. We don't have it, but he refers to it. And he tells the local church in Corinth to confront these people, these false prophets. Paul was so worried about the outcome of his stern letter that he sent Titus to Corinth to get news on how it played out. The news was great. The false prophets were challenged, they were disciplined, and it seemed that the majority had changed their behaviour and the church was realigned. You see Paul taking a huge sigh of relief. One of the churches he had planted was safe. But you can imagine through that sort 
of experience the damage that that kind of behaviour from the false prophets would cause a church community. Imagine a couple of people coming into this place and trying to undermine Pastor Phil's leadership. Imagine them coming in here and trying to convince us to ditch Phil as our senior pastor and instead take on their leadership. They've got to tell us how wrong Phil is. They've got to let us know where he's going skewed in his teaching, how bad he is as a leader of this and them, people taking sides, accusations are flying, finger pointing abounds. It's the kind of thing that splits churches. And in fact, some of you have probably experienced it firsthand. What lens would you have put on if you were looking at those false prophets? Which one out of your bag of lenses would you have taken on and put on and looked at those false prophets? Because it will determine the relationship from then on. This is Paul's lens, 2 Corinthians. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you, to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort them so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you that stern letter, if you would stand to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. And if you forgive anyone, I'll also forgive them. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive anyway, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Catch this. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Do you catch that last line? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. When you put that lens on relationships in turbulent waters, it affects the physical, it affects the outcome, it affects where to from there. Paul didn't just see their sinful behaviour as causing disunity, he saw it, he confronted it, he, deal, he dealt with it. But Paul saw through a lens that said there's something more sinister that's happening behind the scenes that we're not seeing. There is an enemy scheming. There is an enemy planning. There is an enemy trying to achieve a directive and they're gonna use that person to achieve it. They're gonna use us to achieve it. They're gonna use me to achieve it. And the enemy has, had, has witnessed some serious victories in this realm time and time again. Stir the pot, bring in a couple of egos, a bit of pride, add a touch of gossip, some finger pointing, and you have a recipe for disunity and a community that's disunified is dead in the water. They'll expend all their energy fighting each other. They don't even recognise the battle that's raging around them. Ephesians 6. For our struggle 
is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we are not unaware of his schemes. If as a community, we are to be battle ready, it's knowing who the battle is against. Sometimes when passionate people like us come together, we feel like the battle is against the person on the other side of the room or the other side of the table or the other side of the phone or the other side of wherever it is. That's the battle. But Paul says we're not unaware. We're not unaware of what he's up to. We know that when this kind of thing rears its head, the enemy is up to something. You just got to put on the right lens. When there's disunity in your marriage or friendship, do you stop and consider that maybe the enemy is scheming? When there's distance between you and your neighbor or family member, could it be that the enemy's scheming behind the scenes in the spiritual realm? When it's messy at work, and things are going skewed, do you stop and reflect that maybe the enemy is scheming in your workplace? Remember the enemy comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. If he can isolate, ruin, disunify, pull apart, put against, rile, infuriate, embitter, embroil, insinuate, exasperate and irritate, then he's halfway to achieving the kind of outcomes he wants. The battle ready, see disunity as the scheming of the enemy. They see beyond the physical into the spiritual. It just depends on the lens you've got on. Reflect for a moment. Do you recall a relationship that you've had in the past where now in hindsight with the right lens on, it may have just been the enemy? Sure, there's sin in you, there's sin in them. It's where it starts. But where it's ended up, where it is now, could it have been the enemy scheming? So how does Paul combat the enemy scheming? Now that he knows what they're up to, now that he knows what their game plan is, how does he go on the offensive? It's not how we might think. Let me read you that second Corinthians passage again and see if you can figure out, see if you can see how does Paul go on the offensive against the enemy scheming. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead... You ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you that stern letter was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. And if you forgive anyone, I'll also forgive them. 
And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. Grace, 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 grace. Paul really has the right to be offended and hurt. Let's be honest. Those prophets come in and they try to undermine him. They try and ditch him. They try and steal the church away from his leadership. Not that Paul owns it, but Paul owns responsibility of their spiritual health. And Paul's ego and pride could have got in the way justifiably and demanded that those false prophets be ousted permanently. Don't give them another chance. Don't let them give them space to reenact that kind of behaviour again. It's great you've repented. It's great the things are simmered down, tick. But I'm certainly not going to take the risk that you come back in this place and ruin things again. Forget it. But Paul's response is so gracious. He hasn't really hurt me. I'm all good. But he has hurt you guys. And you know what? He suffered so much through this shambles. And we don't want to give the enemy, here's the scheming, we don't want to give the enemy another opportunity to create another offensive by isolating them. Because if we isolate them, they might just fall away. And it's not about winning the battle, it's about winning the war. And it's not just about me and my victory and us and our victory, it's about our victory. And he's included in that. So how about we put another lens on, discipline's happened, now how about we just show grace, grace, grace that the enemy may not outwit us. I've been reflecting on this lately. How much grace is enough grace? Does grace have a limit? Is there a bottom of the barrel? Does the, the, the well run dry? Can people be moved from the deserving of grace column on the ledger to the undeserving column on my ledger? I have a friend. He was a close friend. And although nothing in particular happened between us, there's a gaping chasm that's grown. It's hard to describe what the chasm is except it's expressed through a lack of time, a lack of interest, a lack of those kind of inputs that usually surround a friendship. And everything in me, well, at least 95% of everything in me, wants to move them from the deserving of grace column on my ledger to the undeserving column on my ledger. It's not about tension, it's not about dislike or even bitterness. It's more about protection. I'm not being disappointed anymore. I'm not having expectations that appear to be unreasonable. It's more about giving my myself permission to give up. Have you ever felt like giving up on anybody? The grace well runs dry. For self-protection, let's move them to the other column. 
But my struggle that I've been wrestling with in my quiet times is what, what would have happened if Jesus came upon me? What could have been the eternal consequences if Jesus had thrown in the towel on me? I've certainly given him every reason to. But there's the struggle. That voice on my shoulder that gives me all the reasons why I should cut them loose. Why grace has an expiry date. Doesn't work anyway. They'll never change. You'll only get hurt again. You look foolish. It's all about boundaries. They did this to themselves. And you know what? All the above might be true. Might have been true for Paul. But as I said, victory in the kingdom is not just about my victory. It's not just about your victory. We might win that battle, but we might actually lose the war. It's not a singular battle, it's a humanity battle that the enemy wants to take to us at every turn. If not you, then someone else who's embroiled in the circumstances. If he can't take you down, then maybe he can have victory over somebody else. It just depends on the lens that we look through will determine the outcome of that relationship. Jesus could have easily have won the battle for himself, but lost the war. Paul could have won the battle for himself, but maybe lost the eternity of a false prophet or the unity of a local church. But here's the thing, the enemy can't win against grace. It's his kryptonite. He can't flank you. He can't get behind you. He can't get around you when it's all about grace, when you forgive and restore, when you extend compassion, He can't outwit you. Grace trumps the enemy every time, every time. I have no doubt that the giving of grace at times feels useless, hopeless and for naught. The image in my head, if you put up there, Phil, is of a boxer, knocked down on the mat, and the referee is counting to 10. One, two, three, and everything in that boxer is trying to get off the mat, but everything in them too is just saying, it's gonna stay here. I'm just gonna stay here. And some of us, when it comes to relationships, are on the mat and the enemy's scheming. One, two, three, it's not worth it. Four, it's their fault. Five, it won't work anyway. Six, and at the same time, the Spirit's whispering, get off the mat, <laughs> get off. 
get off the mat. You've got it in you, get off the mat. I wanna encourage you, church, that the battle is raging. And if he can see a church community or individuals, marriages and relationships doing really well, then you've got a target on your back and he's coming after you and he's scheming. And if you can smell conflict, if you can smell disunity, then our battle's not in the physical, it's in the spiritual. And every time, if you choose to show grace, you'll kryptonite the enemy. And it may not turn out the way you want all the time, but you're gonna be okay with that because it's not about your victory. It's about His victory. It's not about your battle. It's about the bigger picture war that Jesus is leading us into. My encouragement to you is get off the mat. Whatever relationship it is, get off the mat. So Father, we wanna pray again over our beautiful congregation here, our onliners and those here, that relationships are just everyday part of life and they're not all pumping at 100% all the time. And it's so easy to allow a word or a phrase or an action or a behaviour to come in and begin that slow journey of disconnection. So in Jesus' name, we pray against the enemy who wants to come and kill, steal and destroy. We wanna stand against him with our kryptonite of grace. We wanna hold our shields. We wanna be battle ready against him. And we declare that with Jesus as our leader and the Holy Spirit as our power, you have no place here. And so Jesus, in this song, we proclaim your name. We proclaim your name over our families, over our churches and over our community. You be our shield as we work forward, as we're led by you, Spirit, to do all that you've got in store for us to do in Jesus' name. Amen.